Hello, I'm Dallas Rogers, and I've been giving a lot of thought recently to what it's like to live in a city as an urban academic when a pandemic takes hold. This is a question that I've certainly been struggling with, and I think it's a question that a lot of academics are struggling with. What's our role as urban academics in the debate about COVID-19 and cities? And how do we separate that from our personal experience of being locked down in our cities and homes? Perhaps it's time to listen to the experiences of academics as their cities change around them, rather than asking them to speak at us about their urban expertise. So with this in mind, I asked academics from all over the world to open up the voice recorder on their phones and record a two-minute report from the field about their city, to peek out of their window and narrate what they see before them. Over 25 academics from all over the world responded, and as you'll hear, some of the recordings aren't great, they're recorded on people's phones, but I guarantee you their stories are. And for many of those who responded, they're struggling, just like me, to make sense of their experience in the city. This is Eugene McCann from the Geography Department at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. I live in East Vancouver and I'm going to talk about the current crisis and how it's got me thinking about my neighbourhood, my city and perhaps other cities. One of my favourite urban books is Marshall Berman's dialectical investigation of urbanism called All That Is Solid Melts Into Air. A key recurring device is in the book is Berman's use of the phrase and yet to complicate our understanding of what we think we know about cities. There's never just one thing going on, and we shouldn't assume that what we see is all that's going on. There's one thing going on in front of us, and yet there's much more we can't see, and none of it is permanent. I've been thinking about cities as dialectical assemblages this week as Vancouver has shut down its public life and businesses for the sake of physical isolation. Walking and cycling around East Van, I've been thinking about relationships between invisibility and visibility, privilege and privation, selfishness and solidarity, and absence and presence. In terms of absence and presence, there's a, an eerie emptiness to the streets and parks and plazas uh, that most of us have experienced or seen uh, in, rec in the last couple of weeks. Certainly Vancouver is experiencing this right now. It's quite, it's quite weird uh, to find many of the streets you expect to be busy, to be quite empty. So it emphasises what we've taken to, for granted in cities, that they are peopled social places where people buzz around or hang out in groups. This is what many of us are attracted to in cities. But suddenly what we find is that the cities uh, that we know are suddenly different and eerie because of their emptiness. And it's not just a physical emptiness, but it's also a quietness, a sense of, of less buzz in, in, that, in that sense of volume. Hi, this is Kate and I am in Melbourne in Australia. I was in the city today 
It felt eerie and empty. And when a tram went by, there really was no one on board. And at the top of Swanson Street, trams are pulling in to be met by a team of cleaners with masks and gloves smelling of chemical sprays as they methodically wipe down every surface, every door, every handle before the tram moves on again with no passengers on board. And I grew up here. I had an inner city childhood. And when you live with four people and a cat in a tiny apartment, public parks are your backyard. We relied on shared spaces for recreation or for reflection. And now there's no one here. It's 3.40 p.m. after school. I'm down on a pontoon on the Brisbane River between Tawong and West End. It's a bit like a public holiday here, but some kind of extreme version. Overall, it's, it's rather pleasant, uh, with a little more peace and quiet in the middle of the city. But it's noticeable, the change. Uh, it definitely feels a lot slower, a lot quieter, uh, a lot less hustle and bustle. I can hear birds prominently. Usually the birds in this neighborhood are drowned out by the footsteps and bicycle bells and cars, trucks, motorcycles, construction sites. But today it's like the shutting down of all this industry and business, the hustle and bustle is all swept away and it's revealed underlying layers of sound that we had forgotten in the city. So I'm sitting in my college garden in Oxford and I'm not sure if you can hear it but there is a red kite whistling and while this time of year always brings new life and a lot of joy to people as the grass starts to grow and the trees grow leaves again and the bees are out finding new hives and the birds are busily singing. It's eerily quiet in terms of uh, people in the gardens, along the canals. Little else can be heard uh, in what normally is the busiest parts of Oxford, except for the kites calling. The earth ticks on and spring ever comes. It does, it doesn't really feel like a pandemic, um, but it clearly is. Um, if you step outside the gardens, away from the kites. It seems peaceful. But the people of this city are not peaceful. They're not at peace. While the streets are quiet, the signs of life are here and they're all behind closed doors and window panes. Everyone I have seen recently is on edge. They're stressed. People I pass in the street are wide-eyed and they keep a wide berth. And after looking around the city, I headed home in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne amongst the urban sprawl. And suburbia right now, 
It looks like it was designed for quarantine. Everyone is bundled up in neat squares of land with a house and a patch of garden and everything they need to stay home. That gets emphasised even more occasionally when, um, as we've seen in Italy, uh, there are often um, outbreaks of, of people um, clapping from their windows and balconies, banging pots um, as a way of encouraging healthcare workers and first responders in this, in this crisis. And when that happens in your neighbourhood, you might be able to hear it in the background here, when that happens in your neighbourhood, you suddenly realise um, how quiet it's been all day and how unusual that is. So even though I can't see who's, who's cheering right now, who's clapping and banging their paws, I do have a sense uh, that there is um, much more going on in the city than just the emptiness that we see. Hello, I'm Tanya Dreyer and I'm speaking on unceded Darawal country, the lands of the Wadi Wadi people south of Sydney. I'm going to share a few thoughts about listening and social justice during this global pandemic. I'm not focused on listening to sound, but rather to the social and political importance of where and how we pay attention. We can listen to the most impacted, whether First Nations people massively overrepresented in prisons, or asylum seekers in immigration detention, or people without a home, and also refusing the voices that would claim that quarantine in luxury hotels is just like prison. Listening as social solidarity also means listening out. Listen out for the structural changes underway as authoritarian responses come to the fore in the form of increasing surveillance, police and military powers, reduced parliamentary oversight and all the rest. Hi, my name is Roger Kyle. I'm out on the front porch of the house in Toronto where my partner and two friends and I have been quarantined for a week. Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the world, which you normally see everywhere you go. It is a true cosmopolis with a broad range of cultural influences displayed everywhere. Being thrown into an isolated experience such as this naturally deprives urban life of this variety. It turns the city inward and into a form of collective quarantine sensorium. We know you are all out there. We salute you, the health workers, those in public health, whose announcements we eagerly await, the nurses and medical staff who have been prepared better than their counterparts in other towns because of the 2003 SARS outbreak that taught Toronto a bitter lesson. This city, like any city, will come to life again sometime soon. It is up to us to support urban life from each quarantine space outward. Let's stay social in isolation. We wish you all well. Stay home. Stay healthy. I'm Creighton Connolly. I live in Lincoln, which is a city of about 100,000 people in the East Midlands region of England. And one of the more unique responses in Lincoln is that our cathedral, which is a major landmark and formerly tallest building in the world for 200 years, has uh, been lit up with a blue light in the evening as of yesterday. 
the 26th, and this was meant to coincide with the nationwide movement to clap for the National Health Service workers uh, who have been on the front line of the coronavirus pandemic uh, at 8 p.m. And the, this was described as a very visual way to show them uh, the city's thanks for the sacrifices they're making in saving lives during this crisis, and also uh, as a reminder that everyone should do everything in their power to support them. Listening for solidarity in this way is not an end in itself. The aim is to listen for calls and cues to action. These might be direct or indirect. Also to privilege and amplify the knowledge of those most impacted and most committed to social solidarities. And to keep listening, listening as a continuation, keep listening to better understand how to work for more just futures beyond the contemporary crisis. Thanks so much. Selfishness and solidarity uh, can be seen in the contrast between people hoarding uh, toilet paper and, and buying it up in large amounts in stores, for example, versus the, the various acts of, of mutual aid and care and, and unselfishness that we see around us as we walk through the streets. I just came from a local park where kids had put up signs on all the trees uh, with positive messages. Uh, telling everyone to stay strong and be, be part of a, a strong community. So my name's Kurt Iverson. I'm an Associate Professor of Urban Geography at the University of Sydney. I'm going to say a few words about life in Sydney right now. We've seen here pictures of people panic buying toilet paper and other staples in supermarkets. Large numbers of people still gathering on beaches and in parks not to mention incredibly distressing images of thousands of people queued up at Centrelink branches trying to access desperately needed income support. But I've also had another window onto what's going on in Sydney through the relationships I've got with other people involved in organising initiatives across the city. And here in Sydney, we're struggling with the effects on our members, with the increased stigmatisation of communities of colour and faith who are being blamed for the transmission of the virus with the isolation of the aged and the young, especially those who are locked out of expensive digital connectivity. And so, as I get to the end of this little recording, trying to know whether to finish on some kind of organising optimistic note or whether to be pessimistically dystopian, it's just hard to know. Hello, my name is Ellie Davidson. I'm a Ballangara woman from the East Kimberley. Uh, I'm also an Aboriginal planning lecturer and PhD candidate with the University of Sydney. Um, I feel to share a little reflection from a conversation I had with my nan yesterday up on country in the Kimberley and bring a kind of regional and Aboriginal perspective to, to what's going on in uh, people's uh, lives. And uh, she said the other day she was out and she saw a group of people uh, sitting around under a tree and she turned to her son and said, Oh, I wonder who's, you know, telling them mob about what's going on with COVID and why things are different here. And, you know, she felt this impulse to, to go and share with them. And her son said, stop thinking about other people, mum. You've got to think about your own health. And this is coming from a, 
a lady who's been having lots of tests and there's a lot of uh, worry around her health. Um, she's had some difficulty breathing and, you know, we're all just praying for her protection at this time. But, um, you know, I think from the perspective of Aboriginal people, uh, elders, you know, hold knowledge. They're, the, they're our future because they help us, you know, look back into our past and they provide that window and context. And I know Aboriginal people across Australia are very concerned about um, the spread of this virus and the impact that it's going to have on a very vulnerable group of people being our elders. And it's just important, I think, to think about the fact that up there, a lot of people, they're just walking around doing the same thing. Information hasn't necessarily got to the regional areas as it has in the city. And there's confirmed cases, which uh, my pop said are being kept sort of under wraps. So it's really interesting to think about the context of regional Aboriginal Australia at this point. Thank you. I'm Nat. I'm speaking to you from Mianj in Brisbane. This is Jakarun Turrbal country. So today I'm riding from a suburb on the inner south of Mianj in Brisbane into Fortitude Valley, just on the other side of the river uh, next to the CBD. Um, this is not my daily commute, but one I often make on Thursday mornings by bike. Um, so I thought I'd record from a few spots along the way. There's not very many of us out here in the streets, but those of us who are, we are so attentive to one another whilst also being determinedly apart from one another. So if someone sees me coming, they'll give me a wide, wide berth. They'll take an extra step in order to maintain as much distance as they can from me. So every movement that I make has an opposite, has a reciprocal movement in someone else. We are paying so much attention to each other whilst also being very far apart. Hey Dallas and the City Road podcast people. Um, this is Madeline um, from Sheffield in the UK. Um, Sheffield's been my new home for about 12 weeks now. So round by me in West Sheffield, it certainly seems calm and, and, and friendly as well. People are acknowledging each other from a distance. And I went to a Tesco's and it was actually really well organised and I was surprised because I was, I was expecting queues and socially distanced queues and I actually managed to walk straight in. The staff were fantastic, it was incredibly well organised. There was lots of new yellow and black stripy tape on the floor, kind of making a one-way system in the shop so you walked in one way and walked out through what had been a fire exit. Um, there was socially distanced self-pay checkouts so every other one was operational um, and it was all really well done so um, thus far in these odd times um, my introduction to Sheffield has been one where it's a very genuinely friendly city and under pandemic certainly I feel like we're seeing the best of people In terms of privilege and privation, I live close to a neighbourhood called the downtown east side where many people have no ability to self-isolate in private space and they are still in, in uh, quite crushed situations, often on street corners and, on, and in parks and they are potentially quite open to the possibility of being, of being infected. Hi City Road Podcast. 
I am here to give you a brief update on what things are like in Edinburgh, in Scotland, the UK. So earlier today I went out for a run. Uh, I live in central Edinburgh in EH1 near Broughton Street for those who know the city. So I ran up to Princess Street and all along the main shopping street, the real heart of the, the city here, um, and then down towards Stockbridge and the Water of Leith and ran back along the river and through Newtown. So had a good look around a lot of parts of the city. I also saw four people begging um, on Princess Street. I, I doubt um, earning very much money from that at the moment, given that the streets are so very empty. Um, and there were also either police or community support officers, I'm not, not quite sure, um, speaking to some of them. Um, and, and I wonder if there is a bit more of a an assertive response at the moment, given concerns about people being out and about. This is Amanda Cass, and I'm recording from Menlo Park, California. Hi. I'm going to talk about the current COVID-19 situation in India. Greetings from Ottawa, Canada. There's light snow, which is disturbing our dreams of spring. It's a very rules-abiding city. It always has been. So the shutdown here has not been so bad, uh, particularly for middle-class people. Menlo Park is a small suburb located in Silicon Valley. It's home to Facebook's headquarters and is near Stanford University. It's in general an affluent community with lots of single family homes and families and lots of outdoor amenities, lots of parks, outdoor space. And it's also in the part of California that was the first to be under the shelter in place orders. It's worst, of course, for people who don't share in the middle-class wealth of Ottawa. There's obviously huge concern. I'm a homelessness um, researcher, really, and there's huge concern in the homelessness sector about people experiencing homelessness. Um, and, and that's the same in the rest of the world, too. It's very, very clear from social media. There have been calls to repurpose uh, closed hotels, such as the famous Heritage Chateau Laurier, uh, as um, uh, shelters. Uh, I think that this will be an opportunity for Ottawa to be a little bit more generous. Advertisements are aired on local television and radio in almost every possible Indian language to educate different sections of the society, especially the overpopulated slums, who unfortunately are going to be the most affected by this virus. There are cases where the poor Indian workers in these informal settlements who initially migrated to the city for work are now basically fleeing back to their villages because of the strict COVID-19 measures. Having said that, I am very happy with the control measures the Indian government is taking right now. But I also worry that this virus can be extremely uncontrollable when it affects a country with a population of 1.3 billion. I'm based in Sydney, but it is not Sydney that I want to talk about. My family is in Iran, and it is their story that I want to talk about. Just imagine going through 
the health crisis, then you live in a country that the economy is already broken. Decade-long economic sanctions have put Iran's government in a position that no stimulation package can be offered. But unlike what you have seen in many other parts of the world, in other at least epicenters, there is no real force because government can only force something if they can un- they can also um, help with the people with the economic crisis that will follow. So it's a very, very crazy situation. The streets are still busy. Those who can work from home, but it's a very small portion of population, as you can imagine. And the rest are still going on with their daily businesses, like dying. It's just part of life, even if it is happening at this craziest scale. The threat of the presence of the virus in the air between and around us emphasises the invisible circulations that flow through our biophysical existence. We're more aware of the, the invisible. Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pom again from the University of Western Australia doing a short drive-by urbanism. Uh, it's Thursday, the 26th of March. We're into uh, COVID-2019. Uh, up to stage two um, of kind of lockdown process here in Australia and this little drive by urbanism video is about basically my journey to work to get but get a bit of an idea of kind of what how the journey of work has changed so I'm driving into the city uh, towards the city in order to get to UWA and I'm uh, just looking around and the roads uh, at this time of the day, it's now 8.24 a.m. here in uh, Perth and it's exceptionally quiet. I can see in train station car parks here along the route that I drive to work that there are plenty of spaces. Hi, I'm Jason Byrne. I'm a professor of human geography and planning at the University of Tasmania in Hobart, Australia. And I'm in Hobart at the moment. Uh, where it's quiet. The state government has uh, implemented stage two social distancing, so all non-essential businesses have been asked to close. Uh, Employees have been sent home. Uh, Schools have not yet closed, but they'll be closing very soon next week, and only about uh, half of the schools uh, have the usual number of children in them. It's not quite I am legend yet, but it certainly is different. One of the things that you notice walking through the heart of the city and also where I am uh, in the Parliament Street Oval uh, near the edge of the city at the moment uh, is that you can hear birdsong. The noise travels further because uh, you don't have the the hum and the hiss of traffic on on the streets. Hi, I'm Matt. I live in the inner Melbourne suburb of Carlton. I moved here on February the 21st for the wonderful vibe and to be closer to my workplace. Both these things have obviously changed recently, but that is a small concern in the grand scheme of things. 
At times like this, dates have some importance, markers of the unfolding of things. It's now March the 26th, and I think it was only last week I started to see crowds thin at bars and cafes. Traffic has faded, and the air feels fresher. I saw a woman reading a book seated in the median strip of a leafy street, catching sunshine. I thought she had the right idea. Kia ora koutou. Kelly here from Christchurch in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Sitting here holding my baby, sleeping, not working. Looking out the window and it's pretty quiet out there. New Zealand's been in total lockdown now for a whole day and a half, I guess. I think because the government's mandated the total lockdown. I think because Christchurch has gone through this before with the earthquakes in 2010 and 2011. Uh, with a day-long lockdown with the terrorist attack last year. We know what we're doing. People here know that you just have to hunker down. People are using the word shelter in place rather than lockdown. And we're just going to wait it out. I have what I need, but I'm conscious of those that don't. Thinking of loved ones and feeling for those in less walkable, less treed new suburbs of Melbourne, where social isolation threatens to ratchet up another level. The church bells down the street have taken on a new meaning, a kind of an eerie presence in a soundscape that has fundamentally changed. It feels like we're bracing for a wave. The more people brace for it, the less hard the hit. Stay home, stay safe, get under the wave and stay connected. You've been listening to just a snapshot of over 25 academics from all over the world who submitted reports from the field about what it's like to live in the COVID city. We couldn't play everybody's clip and we certainly couldn't play everybody's clip in full, but we've uploaded every report from the field in full onto our website. You should really check them out. They're great. I live in Berlin in a neighborhood that is usually buzzing, it is somewhat rough, but under an intense process of transition. Hello everyone, my name is Susan. I'm based in Sydney and my research and teaching focuses on geographical education in secondary schools. Hi there, this is Ash from School of Geography, Otago University. We are finishing our second day of lockdown at Dunedin. Singapore, on the other hand, is really different. Um, we've been in Singapore since January, um, right before the coronavirus kind of started. Obviously, the Singaporean government um, was very proactive uh, as soon as the case emerged. Saturday, I was still lucky enough to go to a DIY, a hardware shop, um, which was, uh, funnily enough, um, super crowded uh, circumstances around COVID-19 are structural influences. An initial reaction might assume that such an influence would be constraining to teaching practice. So I asked 10 geography teachers from across a range of career stages. By the way, we have been tenants since we left our parents' home 11 years back. The most unexpected and beautiful thing ever happened to us as tenants this week. On the eve of the lockdown, 
we found two sacks of dry pine cones at our doorstep with a lovely note from our property owner. Miles Herbert was the producer on this podcast and we heard from Roger Keel, professor at York University, Kurt Iverson, associate professor at the University of Sydney, Tanya Dreyer, associate professor at the University of New South Wales, Karen Witzman, professor and Bank of Montreal Women's Studies scholar at the University of Ottawa, Taran Elazahe, associate professor at the University of Sydney, Eugene McCann, professor at Simon Fraser University, Beth Watts, a senior research fellow at Harriet Watt University, Amanda Cass, PhD candidate at the University of Illinois at Chicago, Ellie Davidson, Aboriginal planning lecturer at the University of Sydney, Kelly Dombrowski, senior lecturer at the University of Canterbury, Kate Murray at the University of Melbourne, M. Dale at Oxford University, Matt Novaski, PhD candidate at the University of Melbourne, Miriam Budenbender, advisor to the chair of the Social Democratic Parliamentary Group in Berlin, Natalie Osborne, lecturer at Griffith University, Ash Alam, lecturer at the University of Otago, Cameron Murray, postdoc fellow at the University of Sydney, Dipti Prashad, PhD candidate at the University of Sydney, Madeline Pill, senior lecturer at the University of Sheffield, Matt Wade, postdoctoral fellow at the National University of Singapore with Renee Johnson, an independent artist in Singapore, Susan Caldas, PhD candidate at Macquarie University, Jason Byrne, professor at the University of Tasmania, Richard Wu in California, Paul McGinn, associate professor at the University of Western Australia, and Creighton Connolly, senior lecturer at the University of Lincoln.